Uh, okay, so guys, this morning, stoked to be back in this space. We were up in the mountains last week at the Restored Family of Churches annual retreat. If you were there, can I hear you make, can you make some noise, please? Yes. It was like, I don't feel like I'm being, I'm not exaggerating when I say like it really was like an incredible time. Uh, the whole weekend was spectacular. I feel like specifically Saturday just felt like... Um, Genuinely, it felt like a taste of heaven. We had like some amazing time to kind of relax in the beautiful scenery. And then we all got together that evening for some ministry time. And it felt like God smashed the room. It was incredible. It was, it was honestly um, phenomenal. One of the really cool things that came out of the weekend that we were kind of planning and, and, um, and working towards was uh, our church historically has had five like kind of core values all right, so when you think about values, like every person that you've ever met, whether they're on paper or not, they have like a set of values. Um, every family has a set of family values. Like I said, whether or not you've outlined them and they're on your fridge on display or not, we all have values in our lives. And our church is no different. We have a set of values. Um, gospel, family, dependence, mission, multiplication. There, historically, there's been five and uh, we introduced officially a sixth value, not just to our church, but to the family of churches at the retreat, which is renewal. Um, and bef- I'm going to talk about that today, but uh, what I want to do is I want to kind of tell you really quickly, before we jump into the scriptures, um, how, like kind of the story behind how this came about, the sixth value of renewal. Um, you might be even asking what renewal is. We're going to talk about it in just a bit, but um, it was interesting because last October, so almost, I'm like, Sorry. Last October, uh, almost a year ago, we went through a series going through our values as a church. Gospel, family. I'll run run through them quickly. Gospel instead of religion. Like, we are all about the good news of Jesus, not just like good advice. Okay, you with me? Thank you, Mark. All about the gospel of Jesus. We're going to primarily focus in on what Jesus has done more so than even what we're supposed to do. Because what Jesus has done has the power to transform all of our motivation. Um, the gospel is not just our message that we proclaim, it's actually our motivation for living a holy life. Make sense? So gospel, it's like everything, okay? We value the gospel, we value family. We believe that the church, unapologetically, the church is not an event. You're not at church right now. The church is the family of God. <clears throat> uh, the church is not a business, it's not a building. It's a people who relate to God as father and each other as brothers and sisters, okay? So gospel, family, dependence, we're people who depend on the Holy Spirit, Uh, Jesus talks about in John chapter 15, apart from him, we can do nothing. That's a strong statement. But empowered by the Spirit, anything is possible under the will of God. It's amazing. It's an amazing reality of understanding the way that God's wired us and gifted us for the advancement of his kingdom and the the glory of Jesus. So dependence, that's the third one. Uh, Mission, we want to be intentional about pursuing people and helping people follow Jesus. That includes the Christian and the non-Christian because the Christian needs the gospel just as much as the non-Christian does because we can sometimes like forget it. We might know it conceptually, but we kind of depart from believing it and we act out in sin because we don't believe that ultimately that God loves us and is for us. So mission, we want to be intentional about pursuing people, Christians and non-Christians, okay? That's mission. Um, And then the last one, multiplication. This idea of um, not just adding people, but multiplying and equipping the saints for the work of ministry to live out the story that God's called them to. Well, it's been our five values, right? And um, it's interesting because this, uh, <clears throat> this last October, like I was saying, we went through 
a series on these five values. And at, right after this series, it's almost a year ago, it's pretty funny. Like since then, I really have been feeling more and more an increasing way, just kind of like a, a generational burden for our church. And what I mean by that is, um, this is a church plant, okay? We are, we are, we are tilling the soil, planting a seed um, that, that God will, in his grace, is, um, is growing and fruit is happening. It's amazing. Um, but... Like I said, I've been thinking generational about this church. What will our kids inherit? So I love being able to go, okay, God, with your guidance, with your grace, we want to build something that's biblically faithful, that's obedient to you. What does it look like for us to be at the healthiest church possible so that our kids don't have to, fe- they don't have to like, be so consumed with like, building something? They can inherit something that it's almost like they can stand on our shoulders. They don't have to give too much thought to what the values are, what the strategies are to grow as a disciple, to, to be spiritually formed. It's almost like they can, they can inherit something. They can walk into something and it can be an incredible blessing to them, but for that thing to be something that's comprehensive. And I was looking at the values and I'm going, I love them. Um, they've been the values of our church from the very beginning, not just here, but in the original church we planted in San Diego. And from the very beginning, I'm like, these are wonderful. They're great. But the more I'm, pr- the more I was praying on it the last, like about a year now, I'm like, I feel like there's a gap. And if, and if our kids are going to inherit something that's comprehensive and there's a gap, I, I just feel funky about that. Not that any of our values are bad, but just that it feels like they're not complete. You with me? So I was praying through this, and the more I was praying through it, I really felt like God was highlighting this idea of renewal. And as time went on, um, like, I became more and more convicted that this, this value of renewal it's really important, like it's vital. And we talk about values a lot here. Like there's a difference between like a value on paper, like we talked about, you're going to write it down, versus a value that's like something that you practice, something that actually you live out. It's actually a value. Because you can tell a lot by someone's life. Like you can tell a lot by, by, by what the values of some, that somebody has by the things that they do. I can say I value my wife, but if I don't spend time with her, it's more of a value on paper than it is a value in practice. Does that make sense? So we want to be people who not just like have this list and we can recite it, but that these are things that our community, as individuals and collectively, that these are things that we actually prioritize and value. That if someone were to look at us as a community, they'd say, these people really value the gospel. And they really value like this idea of family and dependence and mission and multiplication and, and now renewal. And so the more I prayed about this, the more convicted I, I really felt. And I was like, I feel like this has to be a value that we pass down to our, our, our biological kids and our spiritual kids, if you will. And so we belong to a family of churches, so I, my mind starts racing, and I'm like, okay, what if the other guys that lead the other churches aren't on the same page? So I'm like praying on it. Okay, I feel this huge conviction about it. I wait some more time. And so long story short, I go to the other guys, and I'm like, I want to propose something. I really feel like there's a gap in our values and that this would make them like comprehensive. When we talk about, if we're going to use the Bible as our kind of like compass for what we value, I'm convinced we need to do this. And it was so beautiful because I'm like, hey, I think we need to add a sixth value renewal. One by one, all the other guys were like, dude, God's been stirring my heart in this too. And it's been something that he's been leading us in. 
So I share that with you to go like, this isn't just like this, oh, cool, we added a sixth value. This is something that God himself has been stirring in us, not just us. Um, Herrick has been involved in this as well. Um, not just us here in Temecula, but in the family of churches that we belong to, that this is something that God's leading us into. It's a really, really, really big deal. Um, so like I said, I'm going to talk about renewal today. Those of you guys that were at the retreat, you heard a little bit about this, but today is going to be more practical. What does that mean for us in Temecula? Okay, now hear me say this. Regardless of what season of life you're in, like maybe today you're on cloud nine, things are awesome, you feel like you're right where you need to be. Maybe today like has been one of the worst days of your life or this week has been incredibly difficult and you're going through a lot right now. This idea of renewal is incredibly important. Here's why. Because regardless of what season of life that you are in, this is a huge part of your purpose in life. Okay? Grab your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the very first page. How am I doing on time? I did not start my clock. You guys are in for it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm apologizing in advance. Genesis chapter 1. Let me pray for us. Will you join me? Um, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you, um, in, in your goodness, that you're with us, like we sang this morning. And where there was death, you do bring life. It's like who you are. You, you can't contain yourself. You can't help yourself. God is love. So we recognize you as much as we have capacity to this morning, um, that in your infinite wisdom, you choose to be with us. We don't deserve it. Um, but you, you do lavish your love upon us. I pray for every heart and mind in the room this morning that you would really point us to Jesus, Holy Spirit. Help us to see him in his glory, in his goodness, in his love, in his power. And that he offers salvation and purpose of being reconciled to him and joining him in his work. Help us this morning, Holy Spirit. We look to you now. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, so really quickly, this is going to be a review for many of you. Please don't check out. This is important, okay? At best, you'll know all this stuff and be like, okay, cool, yeah, absolutely. If not, maybe this is new to you, that'll be helpful. So review, uh, the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible, I don't even know, it's, it's a narrative, okay? From beginning to end, the story of the Bible has four acts. Like if you know, you think like a play, you have acts and scenes and that kind of thing. The Bible has four. And the first one is creation. You guys know this. The very first page, right? God says, let there be light. And he creates a bunch of stuff. He creates earth and land, like the whole planet. Land, oceans, vegetation, sun, moon, stars, animals. He creates. God's an artist. He's brilliant. He creates with his words. That's how powerful he is. So he creates all this stuff. And then what I want to do is I want to pick up really quickly in verse 26 in chapter 1 of Genesis. Okay, verse 26. I'm in the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, Words will be on the screen if you'd like. Then God said, let us, there's the Trinity, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So everything that he created prior to. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. 
He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31, God saw all that he, was, that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Okay, act one of the play, act one of the story, act one of the narrative is creation, the creator God, right? And here's the cool thing. I know you've heard this, but just please try to like insert your mind into this reality. Like everything was good. Everything. Like, and here's the cool thing. Adam and Eve, it says they literally, they had, they had access to everything that they needed. Like, just fantasize for just a second. How much money does America spend every year to go on vacation, to, like, rest, to get away, from, as much as they can, to get away from the drama or to get away from the stress or to get away from evil or to get away from whatever? Like, just imagine the reality of all of creation, everything being good and you having access to everything that you could ever need. So you have this relationship in this scenario, right? The creation. You have this relationship with God, man, and creation. And that relationship was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Okay? Think, basically, things are the way they're supposed to be. We can argue philosophy, morality, all that kind of stuff. Here's my opinion. Every human being, intrinsically inside, you know the way that things are supposed to be. You know inherently that like murder's wrong. And like racism's wrong. And like po- there's something wrong with poverty. People not having what they need to survive. Like we know this, right? Things are the way they're supposed to be in the beginning. It's beautiful, okay? Act two, you guys know what it is. What's act two? The, the next kind of phase, what is it? The fall, absolutely, right? So you have sin and it enters the world. Adam and Eve, right? They disobey God. They're deceived by the serpent. They're deceived by Satan, Right? They believe the lie that God's holding out on them. They want to act in their own authority, the whole thing. They're deceived. Sin enters the world, and this perfect creation now is cursed. It's cursed. You have this, remember that relationship between God and man and creation that was perfect is now fractured. It's jacked up. It's broken. Okay? Things are broken. They're not the way it's supposed to be. That's in like the first two or three pages of the Bible. And then you have the entire Old Testament, okay? The entire Old Testament. And what you see in the rest of the Old Testament is you have mankind, men and women, humanity, sinning against God and sinning against each other. It just kind of spirals and gets gross and awful and it's rough. Sin, it messes everything up, okay? And the worst part about sin is what it does is it separates God, holy God, from people. Because now people have, have chosen to disobey, right? Which is sin. And sin and a holy God can't be together without it destroying the sinner because God's holy. It's not because he's bad. It's because he's so good. It's like getting too close to the sun. So you have this separation now because of sin. That's not the way it's supposed to be. 
I mean, think about it. In Genesis 1, before the fall, you have God and man and creation, this perfect relationship. They're together. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's awesome. Sin comes, jacks everything up, and it separates God and man because he's holy. And here's the thing about God, though. He's kind of stubborn. He's kind of stubborn in his love for his people. It's okay. He's stubborn in his love for people. He wants to be close to them, but here's the catch. The catch is for a holy God to be close to the sinner, that's going to result in the sinner being like evaporated. The, the Bible talks about how the wages of sin, the penalty for sin is death. But God wants to be close to his people, so how can he be close to his people without it killing them? So you've, I'm sure you've heard, you know, you guys know this, but uh, the temple, right? The dwelling place of God, his, his manifest presence. And you guys, you read, you read the first five books of, of the Old Testament, and it's like bloody, right? There's, it's sacrifices, lambs and birds and all these animals getting slaughtered at the altar. Why? Why did they have to do that? Because God wants to be close to his people. And the penalty for sin is blood. It's death. And because God is like, I want to be near you. I, I, I want to be with you. The way things are supposed to be is that I'm with you, but he's also just... He loves, but he, you can't have love without justice, you know? Like if, if, if something terrible, if somebody did something awful to my wife, something like abusive or something violent, like I love her, therefore I'm going to desire justice. God's the same way he loves. He wants to be with his people, but he can't help. He, there has to be justice with that. So that's the Old Testament. You just see it's bloody. Why? So that God can dwell with his people without it annihilating them. You with me? So that's the Old Testament, right? That's the whole Old Testament. And then you have Act 3. Act 3 of the story, right? And here's the thing about Act 3. Act 3 is awesome. It's amazing. It's like, oh, I love it. But, unfortunately, this is kind of where the story ends for some Christians. Maybe not theologically, but in practice. We talked about values, right? Maybe not on paper, but in practice, this is kind of where the story ends for some. It's this act of redemption. It's beautiful, right? Like, God becomes a man. I know you guys know this, but it's so beautiful. Almighty God puts on flesh in the person of Jesus, okay? And then he goes to the cross. Why? To be that ultimate sacrifice. Talk about the animals and all the blood, because God wants to be close to his people. Countless animal sacrifice. God comes to sacrifice himself as a man to be that ultimate sacrifice once and for all so that he can be reconciled and close to his people again forever. So he comes, right? Ultimate sacrifice once and for all to forgive anyone and everyone who puts their trust in him and what he's done. That's the gospel. That's the good news of who God is and what he's done and what that now means for us. And the gospel says God, he he graciously gives this perfect righteousness of Jesus, like the perfect record, the perfect report card. He gives the perfect righteousness needed to actually be close to God again without it destroying you. Are you with me? That's the beautiful picture of God's redeeming love. So, so Jesus, God in the flesh, right? He redeems a person. He forgives them, he justifies them, he redeems them, to bring, he reconciles them to God, brings them close again without it annihilating them, brings them close again, and it's, it's incredible. But like I said, 
far too many Christians, I have been in this season of my life too, so I'm not judging and casting anybody down, but far too many of us, we, we, we functionally behave as though the story kind of ends there. Like as though that the story of the Bible ends with you die, and then because of Jesus and his grace, you go to heaven. But friends, that's actually not the story that the Bible tells. The Bible started on earth, right? God created it, and then you see the narrative start on earth. Do you know where it ends? Flip over to Revelation chapter 21. Let's go to the back of your Bible. Second to last chapter in your Bible. We're going to see how the story ends. Revelation. It's cool. We're actually in the middle of a series going through the Gospel of John. Um, Same author. John had this revelation, this amazing vision from God, and he wrote it down. That's Revelation, the book of Revelation. It's not the book of Revelations, plural. That tends to be said quite often, but the book of Revelation. Chapter 21, I'm going to to read the first eight verses. Chapter 21. This is beautiful. Listen in, okay? A lot of symbolism here. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 2. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. Remember, he wants to be close. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love this. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Verse 5. Then the one seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, Look, I'm making, what does it say? Everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. So he's telling John, write these things down. Verse six, then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, like A to Z. The beginning and the end, I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Verse 7, the one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be, sorry, my thing's freaking out, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, idolaters, that's everybody in the room, apart from Jesus, and all liars, everybody in the room, apart from Jesus, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Okay. The story ends with act four, the renewal of all things, him making everything new. Okay, the the restoration of all things. So the Bible starts on earth and it ends on earth. It says heaven comes to earth. It doesn't end with people leaving earth and going to heaven. It ends with the kingdom of heaven coming to earth in fullness. The story ends with all of creation 
being renewed. We talked about things the way they're supposed to be in the beginning. The story of the Bible ends with all things being renewed, that's renewal, the way that they're supposed to be. Are you with me? Okay. Just like they were in the beginning. And listen, that's the kingdom of God. That kind of phrase gets thrown around a lot in in Christianity, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is things the way that they're supposed to be, where he's king. It's it's his rule. It's Jesus' reign, right? It's Jesus' way. He sits on the throne. He's the king. It's his way. That's the kingdom of God. And the story of the Bible is, is firstly, God in his grace and his power, redeeming a fallen world through Jesus and then renewing everything to the way it's supposed to be. How? Through the gospel of Jesus. Through the good news, the finished work of Jesus at the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection his perfect life, his substitutionary death in you and my place and his glorious resurrection, it redeems. It gives us a perfect record. It forgives us of our sin. It justifies us. And then what it does, this is act four, then it empowers a person, you and I, incapable of doing this without the intervention of God, it empowers a person to join God in his work of renewal. All things. Nothing's off limits, man. He's passionate. It empowers a person to join God in his work of renewal because, hear me say this, things are not the way they're supposed to be. Like, take 30 seconds and watch the news. Um, How am I doing on time? Okay, this week was like, there's a couple things that hit me hard this week. Um... There's a young pastor in Southern California. I mean, I'm sure many of you guys have heard about this by now. Um, has a history of just struggling with mental illness and has done a lot of amazing work um, trying to bring awareness uh, to, to mental health and the complexities um, in the church specifically. Um, really admire some of the things that he's done. And this young man, he, had, he took his life this week. Wife, kids, church. Listen to me. Pastoral ministry is really hard. It's beautiful. You get a front row seat on literally God renewing things. So it's, it's there are spectacular privileges. It's like sitting courtside because you get, you get an amazing view. But it is hard um, First Peter, I think it's chapter five, talks about how Satan prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. It's literally in the context of elders in the church. Satan's trying to kill us. <laughs> it's hard. You add mental health struggles to that and suicidal thoughts to that. And this poor guy and his family and his church and the grieving, and like death, pain, suffering, that's just one flavor of it this week. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. The lie of like kind of postmodernism is that you can have the kingdom, right? Things the way they're supposed to be without the authority of God, without the king. And you'll see kind of postmodern thought, like to try to do everything, like you see this, um, um, wanting to do amazing initiatives and all this stuff. But it's actually, you, you actually can't have the kingdom without the king. 
Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. This week earlier too, 9-11, right? The 18th anniversary. If I asked most of you in the room, do you remember where you were when it happened? You'd be like, I remember where I was. I saw the TV. I saw the most devastating, like one of the most devastating things corporately that's happened to us as a country. Awful. The, so many terrible ripple effects that came out of that with just a plethora of different um, uh, examples of brokenness. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And listen, chances are, your life story, chances are that your life story is littered with awful things. Not exclusively. But if you, if you allow yourself to review, I don't need to convince you, man. All of us have experienced significant brokenness in our lives. We've made really bad choices and we've been the recipient of the bad choices and the sins of others. And we have wounds because things are not the way they're supposed to be. But listen, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a child of God, a Christian is a person who's redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but not just redeemed, but also renewed. Again, this idea of renewal. Not just redeemed, although we are. It's amazing. Like, let's never move on from being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but also renewed. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You'll know this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So listen, God's agenda, right, is to renew all things. Do you know where he starts with that? He starts that work inside of you and I. That's where the beginnings of the renewal happen. It starts inside of you. A Christian is a person redeemed and being renewed by the blood of Jesus. So a person redeemed by Jesus and now is in the process of being renewed, sanctified, becoming more like Jesus. It's already secured. It's happened. He's done it. But now we're living this out of being renewed by the blood of Jesus who then joins God in his mission to renew everything else. He redeems you, he renews you, and he includes you in him redeeming all things. You with me? Did you know that's God's agenda? Every minute. I think oftentimes we panic, what's God's will? What is his will? What am I supposed to do? I love that because it says that you want to honor him. It's beautiful. His, his agenda is to renew everything. That includes you and I everything, the way it's supposed to be. His agenda is to usher in his kingdom, to bring his kingdom. That's what God's about, and listen to me, that's what the Christian's about, bringing in God's kingdom. Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom. It's actually good news for God to rule and reign because if that happens fully, things are the way they're supposed to be. I mean, he talks about, this is Matthew chapter 6, Uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives lessons on how to engage, pray with God. He says this, you'll know this. Therefore, you, the you there is the Christian, the disciple, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Pause. That's the redeemed part. That's the reconciled part. Because instead of enemy, who has to like do all these sacrifices to be, just to be, if if I'm in his presence, I'm gonna be annihilated. Like, no, no, no. The sinner gets redeemed and reconciled to the holy God through the blood of Jesus. And now they're 
This is so scandalous. And now the sinner relates to God as beloved child, beloved son or daughter, just because he trusts that God did that for them. Doesn't add anything to it. So that's the, that's the reconciled part. And the first line there, okay? Sons and daughters instead of enemies. Redeemed and reconciled relationship brought close again, right? Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Verse 10, you know this, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. Those two things coming into alignment. God's rule, things the way that God intends. Where? Here. On earth. So, if God is, is in, he's, he's renewing all things, how? Through his people, through his hands and his feet. So if God's renewing all things through his people, what does renewal look like practically for us in our church family? What does it look like here in Temecula? In neighboring Marietta, maybe Menifee and Wildemar, this valley. What does it look like for you? Like, what should you do? Do you need to make this massive shift in your life? Maybe. But probably not. Probably not. Here's the key. The key is to living with intentionality everywhere. Living with intentionality everywhere. Because remember, God's agenda is the renewal of all things. Do you know what that means? That means everything's important. Absolutely everything's important. But if you're anything like me, we don't always see things that way as everything's important. We tend to, we tend to kind of put a scale on things. Like that over there is more important than this over here. And like, you know, the really spiritual people do this. I'm just a that. So what should you do? So the Christian in the room, what should you do? If God's agenda is to bring his kingdom, if God's agenda is the, the renewal of all things and the Christian's agenda is to join him in that and participate in that renewal of all things, what should you, you, what should you do? Here's a super helpful question to ask yourself. What would Jesus do if he was you? Not if he was somebody else. What would Jesus do if he was you? With your realities, with your circumstances. Jesus didn't live in Temecula. Maybe you're a mom. Jesus didn't, he wasn't a mom. Doesn't make your role any less important to the renewal of all things. What would Jesus do if he was you? What would Jesus do if he was a student? Students in the room. Parents in the room, spouses in the room. What would Jesus do if he was you? If you're a teacher in the room, what would Jesus do if he was you? If you're a construction worker, what would Jesus do if he was you? If you're an entrepreneur, what would Jesus do if he, if he was you? If you engage with social media, whatever, regardless of your pro, con, if you engage with social media, what would Jesus do if he was you? Race relations, what would Jesus do if he was you? Social justice, what would Jesus do if he was you? Your, your sexuality, what would Jesus do if he was you? Your economy, your finances, what would Jesus do if he was you? Here's my heart. Here's what I really want for you guys. And I want it to sink deeper into my heart too. I'm not talking down to you. Please, please hear me say this. What I really want for you to see 
is that nothing is less important than anything else in the renewal of all things. Everything matters because God's agenda is to renew everything. Okay, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. I'm going to tell you a story quick. You with me? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. I think we're good on time, huh, JB? I stopped keeping track. Typically, I'll put my clock up, and I just totally spaced on it. I was too excited to talk to you guys. I really love being with you, honestly. Um, Okay, so... Has anybody ever, like, done anything where you acted before? Like, you acted in a play or, like, a... It could be even when you're a little kid. Like, can I see some hands? Some people haven't. A lot of people have, though. Okay, so I'm not, like, an actor. (laughs) Uh, It's not my gig at all. Um, But when I was in fifth grade, I was in this play. And I forget what the title of the play was, but it was something, like, it was kind of fantasy and, like, um, it was supposed to be fun. And um, <laughs> like I said, I'm not that guy. But so in our, cl- it was like our, cl- our fifth grade class put on this play that the whole school was doing or was going to come to and stuff, teachers, students, the whole thing. And so we're reading the different parts before the, the, um, the teacher casts who's going to be in what part, right? I'm looking at you because you're an actor. Uh, <clears throat> but either way, so we're reading these things, and I remember thinking, like, this is just so entitled, sinner, fifth-grade boy. I should be the lead guy. I should be the main character in this, so that's the only one I'm going to read for. You know, like, because the teacher's like, who wants to read this part? Who wants to read this part? And I'm just like, I'm only going to read that one. And, and then so it ends up there's this one other character that needs to be cast, and she's like, who wants to read the pirate? And no one says anything. And I'm like, all right, I'll read the pirate. It's fine. Like, whatever. I'm going to be the main character anyway. Whatever. So I read the, the thing for the pirate. And um, the next day, she posts, at the end of class, she posts what student is going to be playing what role. Guess who didn't get the main character? Yes, me. Good guess. Good guess. So I don't get the main character. I get cast as the pirate. Um, here's the thing about the pirate the pirate had one line. Like, I think the line was, it was one sentence. It wasn't like one chunk. It wasn't like, and I remember thinking like, this is the most, the least important character in this entire story. And so, you know, I remember my mom helped me with my costume, you know, the pirate thing and stuff. And so we go and do the the play and like, I'm, you you see like a stage, right? Like I'm in the back of the stage as a fifth grade kid, just like probably a 40-minute long play or something, 30-minute long play, waiting for my turn. It's a long time to wait when you're, how old are you when you're in fifth grade? Like 10 maybe? Yeah. 10, just like, okay, when's it going to be my turn to go do this thing that I have zero desire to do because it's not important? It's like I have one line. Walk out there, do my, you know, I'm the pirate walk off. It took like eight seconds. It was ridiculous. Walk off. And I'm just feeling like, this is so stupid. Like, and that was a Friday. The play was on a Friday, like after school, you know? And the following Monday, at the end of class, this other teacher comes into our classroom 
She's not my teacher. She's another teacher. She comes in and she's like, she's like, I just want to like tell you guys, you class, you guys did such a great job at the play. Like, and I'm, I'm sitting in my chair like, well, some of us did. Like, some of us did a great job. Some of us just had one line. Some of us had to dress like a pirate. <laughs> and then the teacher goes, hey, who played the pirate? I don't know why this is making me choke up right now. And, and I'm like, I raise my hand, you know, and she looks me in the eye and she says, that was my favorite part of the entire play. She's like, it was such an irreplaceable part of the story. And she goes, and you did it with passion. And it was the highlight of the whole play for her. My concern pastorally is that some of you are just like me as a fifth grade boy. You don't understand the importance of your role, how absolutely vital it is to the story, how irreplaceable it is Do you understand every single part matters? This isn't lip service. Every single part matters because every part is vital to the story of God renewing everything. His kingdom invading everywhere. Advancing everywhere. If you're a stay-at-home parent, part of your role is partnering with God in the renewal of your household. He's cast you for that role in his sovereign grace because he desperately, passionately wants to bring renewal into your household. It's not less than, it's really important to him. Nothing is off limits to him. His love is comprehensive. He wants to see parenting the way it's supposed to be. If you're a professional, part of your role is partnering with God in the renewal of your workplace, man. He wants to see business and all that it entails the way it's supposed to be, his way. If you're a teacher, if you're a student, part of your role is what? Partnering with God in the renewal of your school because he wants to see education the way it's supposed to be, his way. His way is good, man. If you're married or you're single, either one, part of your role is partnering with God in the renewal of your sexuality. He wants to see sexuality the way it's supposed to be, glorious, his way. And my fear is that some of us believe the lie, believe the lie that your role isn't vital or it's not as important as someone else's role. But the story that God is writing is what? It ends with Act 4, the renewal of all things. We're in between Act 3 and Act 4. The day is coming when Jesus returns again and ushers in the fullness of his kingdom. Until then, God Almighty invites his children to come to work with Daddy. 
He's renewing all things. Do you see your role? What you're doing today, do you see your role as irreplaceable in the story? If you don't, you're being deceived by the enemy, straight up. And why would he try to deceive you? Because he doesn't want you to participate in the renewal of what God wants to see renewed. What Jesus gave is blood to see renewed. It's really important. You're really important. I'm checking my clock one more time. Okay, I'm going to tell you one more thing, and I'm going to get out of here, let you guys worship and stuff. When I meet people, you heard me talk about this before. It used to freak me out. People, I'd be waiting for them to ask me that first question that someone asks you when you meet them. Oh, what do you do? Now I love it because it's that open door to talk about Jesus. What do you do? I'm a pastor, and here's what happens. If typically, this is typical, it's not exclusive. Typically, if they're not a Christian, what they do is they stop cussing, they apologize, and they say something like, oh yeah, my aunt goes to church. <clears throat> Typically, that's what, it's something along those lines. And then I'm like, hey, I actually, I, it's a great opportunity for me to just be like real with them, talk to them about, I need grace, like I'm not better than you. But here's what happens oftentimes when I meet Christians and they, and they find out I'm a pastor. They say something like this. Oh yeah, like, I, that's cool, man. I, I just stay at home with the kids. Or I just wait tables. And I'm like, they're saying it as though they're like a JV Christian. Like somehow I'm, I'm, more, I'm better, frankly. Like what I do is more important. Because they don't understand the reality of God's agenda is to renew all things. And he sent them as a missionary to renew all things. And he cares about the environment they're in. Like, if everyone was a pastor, who would bring renewal to their household? If a pastor equipped the saints for the work of ministry, it's a pastor, right? Shepherd and equip people to minister. To be a disciple who lives for the renewal of all things. If everyone's a pastor, if everyone's a varsity, quote-unquote, Christian, then who's going to bring renewal to that household? Who's going to bring renewal to that restaurant? Who's going to bring renewal to that school? Who's going to bring renewal to that sector of business? Who's going to do it? God's, he's, his, his strategies are way better than mine. Here's what I want you to, I, I want you to see. You play an irreplaceable role. So the next time that question maybe gets asked to you, oh, what do you do? You know what? Thank you for asking. I, I, I have this irreplaceable role. Like, <laughs> In all humility, it's kind of a big deal. Um, it's irreplaceable. Like, I have this amazing role where, like, I partner with the God of the universe to bring about re- the renewal of all things. Like, it's kind of a big deal. I know it sounds intimidating, but if you want to join me, you can. I know that's silly, but, like, do you realize the invitation in front of you? This is for the Christian for a second. Do you realize the invitation in front of you to participate in the renewal of all things? Nothing's off limits. Everything's important. Will you stand if you're able? Just imagine with me, geek out with me for just a second. Imagine what it would be like 
if our church, Jesus had 12 dudes that were like a mess, okay? Imagine if our church actually valued renewal. Imagine if it was something that characterized this collection of believers. Or we intentionally, wherever we are, we intentionally seek to participate in God renewing all things. Imagine the ripple effects of that. Jesus took 12, transformed the whole known world. Let's pray. God, we want to see your kingdom come. It's come in my heart. It's renewed me. It's, it's, it's reconciled me. It's brought me back to you. It's redeemed me. It's renewed me. I want all of creation to experience that renewal. And I know my brothers and sisters in this room want the same thing. I pray for those that are confused about their role. They feel unsettled. I feel like you're saying um, that, that, that they're already in it. Like you, provi- like you provide direction just as much at the starting line of something as you do throughout the journey. They're in it. It doesn't mean it can't change over time. But I pray for those that are confused that they wouldn't be distracted, that they'd actually, with wherever they're at in their life, in any given moment, that we would be people who seek renewal in whatever we do. We have so much freedom as Christians, so much freedom. And whatever we do, we get to bring about renewal. We get to partner with you. I pray for those in the room that aren't sure if they themselves are renewed. There's like question marks there, like, am I? Am I a new creation? Am I not? Have I been renewed? I pray the simple gospel over them now, Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes, the the eyes of their heart, the ears of their heart and their mind to actually receive the grace that you have for us, maybe for the first time or maybe for the millionth time, to actually receive that grace this morning, like the forgiveness for every single one of your sins. It's, it's, It's washed away. It's paid for so you can be close to him again. It's not something that we deserve. Oh, Jesus, guard us from ever being people who believe that we can, we can deserve or earn your love. It's grace. I pray for anybody in the room who's uncertain of if they're renewed, that they would actually receive the grace of God. It's grace. It's that grace that then changes us to the way that we're supposed to be and it's that grace that then renews us and empowers us to join God in the renewal of all things. So Father, I pray salvation over the room, every heart, every mind freed from living for a different kingdom but actually seeking your kingdom. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as in heaven. That starts in my heart. So I pray the rule and the reign of Jesus over every heart, every mind, every body, every soul, and over this entire planet through your hands and your feet, your body, Jesus, your church. We love you. We praise you. And we pray all these things in your holy and beautiful name. Amen.